Welcome to the Play It By Ear podcast. The podcast where the topics may vary because, hey, we play it by ear. And now your hosts, Eric Fiskus, Brady Liming, and Todd Griffin. Said, two out of three ain't bad. Uh, Todd not with us tonight. He is suffering uh, ocular distress. Yes, um, makes it very hard to to read and uh, do things on a screen when your eyes are not uh, quite where they need to be. So they're swole shut. Swoln, swoln. It looks so. like he was tear gassed at a riot. <laughs> Uh, Let's hope that wasn't the case. Yeah. All right, welcome to episode 65. Like I said, two out of three ain't bad. Brady Liming with us. And uh, I'm Eric Fiskus. Uh, again, uh, it's been a couple weeks. We had uh, played a, our classic, instant classic episode, uh, episode one. And uh, I, I don't know if the people that watched, it's now up to, I think, close to 50, but... Uh, I don't know if those people had listened to episode one before, and this is just the audio side, but or if this is 50 new people, but hey, regardless, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, kind of back to our roots, so to speak, and we kind of debate as to which one of those things we put up as instant classics, and I guess we all came to the realization, hey, why not go back to the beginning? And uh, it was March, uh, March 8th, I believe it was, 2020, prior to the pandemic. Just, just a mere, a scad few days before yeah. the proverbial caca hit the fan. Yeah, the world shut down. Yep. All right. In all well, seriousness, we were uh, joking about uh, Todd's uh, red swollen eyes. A speedy recovery to the Griffin family. Yes, um, indeed. They have been uh, riddled by this nasty form of uh, pink eyes not doing it justice, but it is quite uncomfortable and awful and we wish them speedy recoveries because it's it's looks like a pretty miserable uncomfortable situation indeed and again anyone who's ever been uh, involved in uh, an outbreak of that is very contagious so uh again not not something to be trifled with so uh again as brady said speedy recovery there savannah welcome uh earbud hall of famer and uh, that's a very nice uh comment there we appreciate that that's that's our goal yeah, we want to keep everyone's spirits up. We keep everybody's spirits up, hopefully make you laugh, maybe, just maybe, make you think about some things from our skewn, play-it-by-ear uh, lenses. Hello, Miss Wilson. Yes, Miss Wilson with us. Nice. Indeed, uh, there are uh, six people in the room according to my count here, so please sign in. Hopefully we get a few more uh, into the room. We, I think we had 13 say they were going to come, so... Um, hopefully we get a lot more than that but you know summers are kind of hit and miss with uh, actually look out the window the sun's still out so people may be out and about doing things but uh, there's fairs and sports and cheerleading and vacations and theme parks and everything and we do appreciate your commit time commitment to watching our tomfoolery so we do appreciate it 
indeed. And uh, you can always listen to the audio version as well. So there are different places that you can get those things. We'll talk about that later. Visit our website. Yes, visit our website www.playbyyourpodcast.com You can find the audio and video uh, versions of our uh, show right there at the website, right at the top of the page. On each page of the website, you can find those things. So, go no further. Is that, uh, is that your pointer? Yeah, I never... I, it's like backing up a boat. It's always the wrong way, you know. <laughs> All right, so again, with uh, Todd not with us tonight, uh, I don't know if he's in the room or not. Todd, if you're in the room, feel free to chime in. Uh, Certainly, uh, you can uh, comment uh, by text anyway. And uh, it's it's one-third your show, so comment away. Anyway, uh, with the two of us here, we are probably not going to be able to do a game like we usually do because that uh, involves some competition and we can't, uh, compete with just two people, so uh, we'll just kind of again play it by ear, and we'll just do regular topics. Uh, we kind of slushed over uh, three different topics we're going to go over today, and we think they're pretty good ones. So, uh, hope you uh, enjoy them and hope you agree with that. So, uh, Brady told me I was going to lead off, so lead off I will, and this goes back to my shirt, and I'll show everyone my shirt here. A Cobra Kai shirt. Yes. Now, would I have worn such a shirt in 1986? No. Wouldn't have thought of it. Because the same guy that would have worn a Cobra Kai shirt in the 80s was a guy that would have worn a uh, Million Dollar Man Mr. Ted DiBiase t-shirt because he's the <laughs> heel and just right. relishes being a heel. Right. So, I, I was putting the shirt on this morning and this topic hit me it's like this show and if you've not seen it I, I believe it's on Netflix now it started out on YouTube TV I think and then kind of migrated over to Netflix but you need to watch it it's very well done and it, it goes into the fan theory thing that I'll get to in a minute but I thought this was a truly great kind of flip of a script so to speak we watched, we being probably most everybody, has seen The Karate Kid and has watched that movie and thought, you know, uh, Ralph Macchio's character of Daniel was kind of put up on by those people who were in, in the Cobra Kai. Those baddies. Yes, those baddies. Uh, so as it turned out, with this particular show that's now, like I said, on Netflix, they, as I said, flipped the script. Now... Dan, or uh, not Daniel, yeah, Daniel. Daniel's kind of the, he started out as the heel, and the show's kind of migrating a little bit, and I, I won't give it away, but uh, again, good good show to watch if you get the opportunity. But I thought, what other shows or uh, movies or whatever have flipped a script like that so well? And uh, kind of got me on to fan fiction. And if you're not familiar with fan fiction, uh, a lot of your bigger name shows or movies will have fans of that property kind of put out stories uh, that they believe could be explanations of things that actually happened in the movie. Because a lot of people will watch movies and it's pretty straightforward. The story kind of goes along and you follow it. Other people will watch a movie and have a different take on it. 
So they'll put out fictional stories of what they feel the movie was talking about or the TV show or whatever. So I went on a search, and as I told Brady earlier, Google is your friend sometimes, and I came upon two lists. So uh, one is from Entertainment Weekly. The other is from... Uh, where's it from? Can you go back up to the top of the list? The Richest. I, I don't know what The Richest is, but uh, maybe it's some magazine or something. Anyway, uh, I was going to go through this list here and talk about some of these fan theories, TV and movie fan theories, about possible explanations of things that happen in these shows or movies. So I told Brady I'm going to talk about the ones I can speak directly to, and I may give him the opportunity to speak to some that I can't. Uh, For example, Star Wars, and we talked at length on this show about my... uh, I don't know what the word is. Dislike. Avoidance. Avoidance. There you go. Avoidance. That's a good word. Avoidance. Defiance. (laughs) Avoidance of Star Wars. So I, I can put a few of those out there, and he can speak to those, but... Uh, well, again, we'll just kind of go through this list and, and we'll get your thoughts on the possibilities here of this fan fiction and uh, what people feel may have been happening in these shows. Now, this first one here, uh, and, and I'm going to say this is about Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead. Now, I'm not a, a fan of The Walking Dead. My wife has watched The Walking Dead. Never got into it myself. Uh, however, a big fan of Breaking Bad. So, according to this fan fiction, Breaking Bad is a prequel of The Walking Dead. So, this seems to be a bit far-fetched to me, but according to this particular piece of fiction, uh, this seed for this theory was planted in the second episode of The Walking Dead in which Merle's secret drug stash strikes quite the resemblance to the product that turned white into a kingpin. So the uh, the uh, the meth that had the, the blue, blue crystals. Meth. Yeah, the blue meth. Um, All goes back to crystals. There you go. <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. That's, that's a good segue. Uh, further hints at a possible connection between uh, the AMC dramas include a red sports car and characters named Glenn, Gus Fring possibly being patient zero of, uh, I guess, being a zombie. Uh, And the description of Merle's drug dealer as a janky little white guy uh, who Daryl quotes as saying, I'm going to kill you, B. So uh, that is a line uttered by Jesse Pinkman quite a bit in Breaking Bad. (laughs) No, bitch, is is the (laughs) word. Uh, So that's the basis of that theory. Like I said, that's, to me, it's a little... uh, So... Am I to understand that Walter White's meth turned people into zombies? It, it, it's the like the the root cause of this zombie thing. Uh, that that's kind of what it's getting at. Now, shoot! All I had to do is go to like the carnival section of the Brown County Fair. <laughs> that theory, you know, the zombies <laughs> have been around for years. Oh man, <laughs> I have no words for that. I, <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Uh, any uh, any input on that particular uh, thing there, Brady? Well, no, but besides, like, you know, meth causing the zombie apocalypse, I mean, 
it, it's pretty cool in the in the fact that there are some tie-ins maybe the creators were just having some fun with this just to get people that are fans talking but uh, it is a pretty far-fetched leap but it's interesting it gets my attention it does indeed now this next one is interesting very interesting and this theory was circulated by none other than Buffy, Sarah Michelle Geller, about Greece. And her theory was Sandy died at the beginning of Greece. What? Okay. At the end of the movie, what happens with Danny and Sandy? What what happens with them? Their car flies off. Okay. As they wave goodbye to their friends on the solid ground below, leading to the conclusion that the flying car was the final result of Sandy's fantasy, as in she is dead. In the song, uh, during the song Summer Nights, Danny and Sandy recount how they first met and started a summer fling. The line, I saved her life, she nearly drowned, suggests that Sandy actually did drown. And the whole movie was an elaborate musical fantasy due to the lack of oxygen getting to her brain. The flying red convertible also suggests that Sandy is happily being whisked away to heaven at the end of the movie. So is Danny dead to the end by that? No, Danny's part of her fantasy because Danny was trying to save her from drowning. She actually drowned, but in the meantime of her drowning and her losing oxygen to her brain. She went to the, she had a fantasy, then went to the light. There you go. The car was her going to the light. Wow. Now, now that's a good one. I like that one. What an interesting concept. Kind of throws a lot of um, darkness on a very whimsical, you know, I mean, our dear friend Doug always slammed the flying car at the end of Greece. It's like, it was a good movie up until the flying car. You know, that was a pretty ridiculous ending. But now, man... That that gives some wow. explanation to the ending, doesn't it? It does. So I just I, thought it was a silly, you know, whimsical take, but evidently, yeah, and now I feel icky. N- nice input there by Buffy, Sarah Michelle Geller. Yes. All right, next one. Jack and Titanic is from the future. So one fan theory says that Jack is actually a time traveler who came back in time to keep Rose from committing suicide because that would have caused a delay in the ship's course and potentially kept the Titanic from crashing, altering the course of history. Now that sounds like something straight out of Loki. Um, the, the new Loki, have you watched it, Eric? I have not. Well, the whole thing is about um, there's these timekeepers that keep the timelines, you know, multi-dimensional timelines straight. And that that's really, I think somebody's been watching some Loki and maybe had a couple too many adult beverages and got behind a keyboard. I mean, it, it's an interesting theory, but there is nothing that leads me to believe that, that Jack well, is some kind of futuristic being. Let, let, me, let me go on with this. Jack is from the future. Now, there's some signs to this. His anachronistic fashion, his haircut and backpack were not common until later, and his mentions of man-made structures that were not yet created in 1912, a.k.a. a roller coaster on Santa Monica Pier and Lake Wasoda. 
I call that sloppy skip for, uh, script writing, continuity issues. Could be. But so I it does. Play devil's advocate here. Now, I love a good, you know, deep thinking fan there, but I, I don't buy that one at all. At all. Well, considering the movie is based upon a historical event, although there have been movies based upon historical events that have gone off a little fantasy, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, I just um, listened to a podcast about um, the real life um, inglorious uh, rat. Thank you. Um, the, the real life, you know, yeah. group and um, how, you know, Quentin Tarantino's take was, um, you know, it, it was really good. I love that movie. But the real life story would have been an excellent movie in itself, man. It's right. really incredible. It, it didn't need changing. It didn't need changing. So, uh, but no, I'm not quite buying the timeline. Have you ever heard me do my, um, I have the uh, entire last hour of the Titanic. I have the script memorized and I can recite it at will. <laughs> Jack! Jack! Rose! Jack! Jack! Rose! Jack! Jack! <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I like the movie, though. Don't get me wrong. My apologies to my wife. I believe she put this comment up during the uh, Grease fan fiction that we talked about. I just ruined the movie. No, Becky, we we made you think about the movie in a different way. I like yeah. that one. That, that one holds a lot of weight with me. It holds water. Water. No, it doesn't hold water. All right, Brady, here's one for you. And, and again, this is one show I've not gotten into. People have told me I should watch it. I just haven't. My wife has also watched this show. And the theory is the Always Sunny characters don't actually look like that. Huh? So here it is. Ever wonder how Dennis Mack and Dee look so attractive but seem to disgust almost everyone they meet on its sunny, Always Sunny in Philadelphia? One theory is they are unreliable narrators and present the audience with an idealized version of themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know why? That I have my funny bone. I could actually... Okay, because Dennis fancies himself a very attractive, you know, kind of pretty boy character with lots of conquests. But once they get it, he's pretty repugnant in every way. Um... I, I I like the way that thinks. Um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia is one of my favorites. I know not it's not for everybody. It's pretty um, irreverent, and um, it's a little bit out there, but it, it's pretty hysterical. But yeah, this is definitely a theory that um, I want to read more about this. I bet I have to dust out the old episodes and... <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not laughing about it. it's always sunny because I, like I said, I'm not watching. I'm watching. I'm laughing about this next one I'm going to put out. There. Oh, oh no! And I, I honestly have not read this list until now. That's why I'm shocked. <laughs> All right, next one. Scooby Doo <laughs> is about kids trying to escape the draft. Okay, the cartoon mystery franchise Scooby-Doo never really explained why a ragtag group of four dissimilar teenagers 
decided to travel in a van to no known destination. So a fan developed a theory. <laughs> as the show premiered in 1969, the same year as the height of the Vietnam War, the Scooby Gang is trying to drive to Canada to escape the draft. <laughs> <laughs> the, the theory says that the clean-cut Fred was drafted, but ran away to be with his fiancée, Daphne. Hippie Shaggy and activist Velma joined them as they both opposed the war as well. Now, why did Velma get picked as the activist? Because she wears glasses? I, I don't know. Um, that's funny. That is hysterical. <laughs> yeah. So is Fred like the well-to-do, you know, the fortunate son that is dodging? Could be. And then Shaggy's your typical, you know, hate Ashbury. <laughs> Nerdy well. Yeah. Could be. And his uh, great Dane Scubert do. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Scubert do. All right. Next one. The Simpsons are a family of geniuses. The theory puts forth that Lisa is the only member of the family who accepts her genius while others purposely quash their brilliance in order to live happy lives. Marge was once an amazing student but left her academic pursuits behind to become a homemaker. In regards to Homer, it was revealed that a crayon lodged in his brain was what was suppressing his intelligence. <laughs> and Homer very literally chooses to be dumb but happy rather than smart and miserable by putting the crayon back in his brain. Finally, in another Simpsons episode, we see Bart was once a gifted child, but then his grades began to decline. The episode blamed it, blamed it on a gene that makes the male Simpsons stupid, but Homer's crayon incident disproves that. Instead, Bart saw how happy his dad was in his life despite his lack of intelligence and decided to strive for happiness instead of genius. He uses his brains to come up with elaborate pranks instead of schoolwork. Why can't he be smart and happy? I don't know. Or are those mutually exclusive? I don't know. Good question. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Next one. Nemo, in Finding Nemo, was an imaginary device for Marlin to come to terms with his wife's death. I want to skip this one. Want to skip this one? No, no, that's just dark. All right, in Latin, Nemo translates to no one. This helps spur the theory that Marlin's son doesn't actually exist in Finding Nemo, but is just an invention he uses in order to come to terms with the death of his wife. We see Marlin go through the five stages of grief in the film. First, denial, when he invents Nemo's egg after the rest of his family are killed. Second, anger, as he freaks out whenever Nemo is too far away from him. Third, bargaining, as he convinces Dory to join his quest and then put up with his, then puts up with her. Fourth, despair, when we see Nemo flush down the toilet. And finally, acceptance, as he is able to let Nemo go off on his own in the end. 
I don't know about that one. I like putting that lens of thinking on a lot of things, but children's cartoons, I, Scuba do aside, I get different. <laughs> but, um, now but you yeah. know that these these cartoons are not only aimed at the kids, they're aimed at the adults. That is true, but that's pretty. Uh, gosh, can you imagine if that was true? What that would do to the whole Disney franchise, like all the rides and everything. Sorry, kids, the ride's closed. Why? Because Nemo never existed. <laughs> That's why we're taking it out. There you go. All right. All right, here's an interesting one. Walter White, going back to Breaking Bad, was Malcolm from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the theory. The theory says that Malcolm grew up to be Walter White. Malcolm was very intelligent and had an act for chemistry, but was also stubborn and manipulative, which are shared qualities with Walter. Plus, he would probably grow up to look like his father. In terms of name, Malcolm's surname is never spoken in the show. We see that he has a special relationship with his grandfather, Walter, on his dad's side. <laughs> that's that's interesting. That's deep. That's deep. Wow. You know, along the same line, I I always love it when these shows kind of speak to each other. And one of my favorites of all time, Saint Elsewhere, was very good at this. Like, uh, for example, uh, one of the characters in Saint Elsewhere was a character in The White Shadow because both shows were created by the same people. So uh, the the character from The White Shadow was a... Salami? No, no, um, it was... Uh, gone it was his name. Uh, he was an orderly. Coolidge. No, oh, Coolidge. yeah. Uh, he was an orderly, but Salami, Timothy Van Patten, who played Salami, was on one of the episodes of St. Elsewhere as another character, and Coolidge comes in the room and goes... Salami? Like, he, like, hey, Salami, what you doing here? And Timothy Van Patten's character looks at him and goes, who? I love that stuff. That, that yeah. stuff is great. Yeah. It's kind of along the same lines as this. Mallrats did that. Um, yeah. Because, uh, oh, good gosh. Brenda. Oh, what's her name? Oh, gosh, I'm getting old. Uh, 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 that she, the unpl- anyway, there is a moment where the guy looks up and goes, Brenda, and then yeah, she right. smacks, yeah. Right. Wow. Okay, do you want another, uh, dark theory from a children's movie? Or Let's not? skip that one. <laughs> Are you troubled? I'm troubled. <laughs> All right. Ferris Bueller. Here we go. Ferris Bueller is just a figment of Cameron's imagination. I think I know where this is going. Do tell. Continue. Okay. The thought is that Ferris only exists in Cameron's mind, and Cameron is imagining this entire adventure-filled day as he lies sick in bed. The whole movie then is in Cameron's mind, and Sloane is a girl he has a crush on, while Ferris is an idealized version of himself who is not afraid to talk to her. Yeah. 
I kind of figured it was going that, but I wasn't thinking sickness. I was thinking, well, physical sickness. I was thinking that maybe Cameron was mentally ill from all the stress he was over and creates this alternate reality. He also created Peterson. Peterson! (laughs) Hold my French! Oh. Okay. This next one. And again, based upon a cartoon. I, I don't know that this is dark necessarily, but uh, you may think it is. Bikini Bottom of SpongeBob SquarePants fame is a nuclear test site. At the Bikini Atoll? Um, yes. The Bikini Bottom is actually at the seafloor surrounding Bikini Atoll. A site that used to be a hotbed for nuclear testing. In connection to atomic bomb tests, uh, you see kind of the the end result of uh, sponges Mutation. coming to life and with arms and what and whatnot and and underpants. Right, indeed. Wow. Uh, whenever the show uses live action footage of an exploding a nuclear bomb, there's always they always use visuals of the Bikini Atoll bomb test. This becomes a recurring choice of imagery on the show, and uh, fans kind of took that into a direction of uh, SpongeBob and his friends are a bunch of irradiated sea creatures. I could totally. I, I don't. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna come to the hoop strong on this one. I'm gonna go as far as to say that's not a theory. That's fact. That you because think? there's just too much there. There's there's too much. Too much. The creator grew up in the Cold War. I, too much. That is a fact. I guarantee it. I'd be right. shocked if it wasn't. Yeah, it, it's it, it. very well could be it. I mean, it, it fits really well. It does. Man. All right. Next theory. Anakin tricked Padme into loving him. Now, this is Star Wars. You'll have to speak to this one. Like I said, I will give you that one. Because, again, I I practice avoidance with that, as you said. Yeah. So, was they said, well, are they claiming that he kind of um, used the Force to sway her affections? Yes. Uh, one theory states that uh, his force powers were so powerful that his obsession with Padme seeped into her psyche unbeknownst to Anakin himself. So he had this power and he didn't know how to harness it, so it just kind of you know, caused um, Padme to, to love him. Interesting. I, I might go as far as to say that could have been happening toward the end, but um, I don't... Well, you know... See, when Padme first meets Anakin, he's a little boy and she's older. Like, she's of age already. Right. So maybe this crush that started when he was a younger boy, maybe, you know, I I don't know. I I could see where somebody would get a little bit of a mileage out of that, but I'm not quite buying it for the whole time. Maybe at the end. Maybe at the end. All right. Like I said, you have to speak to that one. I, I cannot. All right. Next theory. Aladdin, of course, the cartoon Aladdin, takes place in a post-apocalyptic future. 
Okay, so we think uh, the movie or the cartoon actually is supposed to take place in the fictional city of Agrabah, uh, which which is supposed to be in in the past. Uh, city in India that houses the Taj Mahal, which kind of is what this city is based upon. Uh, it actually takes place in a futuristic post-apocalyptic wasteland. Even though this kid's cartoon is meant to be taken lightly, uh, fans have, some fans, have uh, called proof to the fact that this is post-apocalyptic. For example, Genie calls Aladdin's clothes so third century and also says earlier in the film that he was locked in the lamp for 10,000 years, i.e. it must be the year 10,300. Also notice how Genie makes so many pop culture references that seemingly hadn't even taken place before that time, like mimicking Jack Nicholson in one particular scene. There's even an expanded version of this theory that explains the carpet's ability to fly as futuristic hover technology and says that Iago can talk either because parrots have developed complex speech by then or just figured out how to, uh, the humans figure out how to understand the parrots. No. No. Yeah, I. Uh, there's so much other stuff. The pop culture references were put in there to get the adults uh, entertained during the kids' movie. Um, because, you know, my daughter, when she would watch it, she would have no idea who Jack Nicholson is. Um, it, it, it was put in there for the for the adult folks watching it. Um, in the well, but, opening, well, but... But the kids, do they care if this is post-apocalyptic? Maybe that piece of it is for the adults as well. See, I'm going to go back to the, the song in the opening credits. They had to change it because it was not very PC. Because it talks about, um, you know, in the day of riding in camels, riding on camels and sledding your... It, it, it was a little bit insensitive by nowadays standards. So I think they've, like, taken... So that kind of like harkens back to the uh you know the barbary pirate era you know right kind of that swashbuckling yeah that i don't i don't buy it um it, that that's trying too hard that, that's looking too hard intelligent yes thought-provoking yes but I, I don't go along with that one fair nay. enough nay. fair enough Nine. all right next one Becky Fiscus, if you're still on here, I may ruin another movie for you here. <laughs> so the theory is Andy Dufresne from The Shawshank Redemption is a guilty sociopath. Huh. Do tell? Okay, it turns out the, this uh, theory turns the movie on its head by asking the viewer to see Andy Dufresne not as an innocent man falsely convicted of murder, but as a remorseless sociopath and a master of manipulation. Andy's alibi states he did indeed buy a gun while drunk to shoot his cheating wife and her lover, only to change his mind at the last minute. In a twisted turn of events, someone else had murdered the adulterers instead, and the blame fell squarely on Dufresne. As if that doesn't sound like too much of a coincidence, the police also found fingerprints all over the murder weapon. If this theory is true, it means that Andy Dufresne's nonchalance inside the prison is a result of his own sociopathic behavior. He befriends Morgan Freeman's character Red just to use his resources the same way he befriends the prison guards and Tommy 
just to acquire special treatment and another trial. Now here's the kicker. Here we go. In the movie, Andy Dufresne is obsessed with chess, which is an angle that never really plays out until you realize that it's a metaphor about how everyone in this movie are pawns and pieces in Andy's elaborate scheme to escape. He basically took everyone fools. Red, Tommy, the prison guards, and even the audience. Even Brooksy. Yes. Thought-provoking, amazing. Um, I, You know, that is truly one of those things that will make you think. Because I agree. I always saw that, you know, there's like some of the worst luck ever. But that can happen, you know? Right. Uh, but... Ay, 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 ay. Um, he is a pretty cool customer. Not quite buying it, but I like the thought of it. it, it it's a definitely an interesting take. Yes. All right, next one. Now, this, this one is, and I can't remember if it's actually stated in the movie or it's just assumed. So this is Forrest Gump. The kid who is assumed to be Forrest's son. Now, does it say that in the movie? Does does Jenny say that? Literally, I think she... No, but she sure implies it. Yeah, she, she alludes the kid is smart like his daddy or something along those lines. I, I don't know. But So this theory says the kid really isn't Forrest Gump's son. So... Uh, this is kind of goes along with what we just said. There's no real evidence to confirm it. Uh, the theory says that Forrest Gump's childhood love, Jenny, might have made Forrest believe that the boy was his son simply because they shared one night of intimacy a few years ago, and the fact that she knew Forrest wasn't very sharp. It would never occur to him that Jenny could be lying. Heck, Jenny herself may not even know who the real father is. In order to ensure that her son would be looked after once she's gone, Jenny might have had to rely on the one person she knew would safeguard her child with all his life. It was none other than Forrest Gump. I'm glad somebody else um, is pretty hard on their evaluation of Jenny. But as I watched her in the movie a couple times, I, I always thought she was kind of not exactly a sympathetic... No, 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 no. I want to be careful. She could do something like she would do something like that, not out of meanness, but out of the good for her child. Does that make sense? Yes, I could. I could see her pulling that stunt for the safety and the well-being of her child. Indeed. So. All right. Next one. Jurassic Park was an elaborate sham. <laughs> All right. We're led to believe that John Hammond, who was the one who put Jurassic Park together, brought dinosaurs back to life by extracting DNA from a mosquito that's caught up in tree sap, thereby being frozen in time. Correct? Mm -hmm. This logic falls short when you realize that the DNA has a half-life and could not survive that long, tree sap or otherwise. Also... There's no way to extract individual strands of DNA from a mosquito that probably fed off dozens of different dinosaurs. 
which means that the mosquito was just a fictional front story meant to explain to the public how these ancient creatures were brought back to life. So then where did they come from? Well... What are they saying exactly? That the dinos weren't real? Real dinosaurs didn't look like anything we see in the movies, and this was even brought up in Jurassic World when it was explained that these so-called dinosaurs were really just a mishmash of various species of animals, an amalgamation of beasts, and aren't in their purest form. So the beasts aren't really dinosaurs, they're mutant hybrids that went awry. Something like that. Okay. Never thought about that one. Makes sense. Yeah. Final one. Wizard of Oz. Dorothy is the Wicked Witch of the East. <laughs> Love that look on your face. All right, here's the theory. All right, Dorothy and Toto are swept off in a tornado, taken far away from Kansas in the mythical land of Oz. We all know that. All right, there Dorothy meets a who's who of weird characters who seem so bizarre yet so familiar at the same time. It becomes pretty obvious that these characters are mirror versions of the people on the farm. We've talked about that before. So, shouldn't she have a mirrored character in Oz as well? So if you remember correctly, Dorothy's house landed on the Wicked Witch of the East, killing her just as the story begins. Fans have always believed that the witch was indeed Dorothy's sideways world twin. Dorothy even plucked the witch's ruby red shoes and wore them herself. The notion gets weirder the more you think about it and is loaded with tons of metaphorical value, but makes total sense that Dorothy killed her mirror image the moment she landed in Oz. Wow. Put some Pink Floyd in there and you've got a night of uh, of uh, mental wormholes there. True. Uh, I, I, it makes sense. I, does this sound bad? Because I love Wizard of Oz, but um, I've really... Ne- that's a movie I've not given a lot of um, pithy thought to. I take it as it's, you know fantastical dream I, I don't I don't delve into that one too much maybe I need to revisit that stance could be alright so uh, there are the uh, jaw dropping fan theories about uh, movies and TV shows I think we mostly talk about movies there but uh, um, interesting lines of thought in regard to those I do have one comment here from Miss Wilson she does bring up a good point about uh, Mr. Dufresne Sociopaths don't feel for others, so why does he make sure he and Red are reunited in the end with money to spend? Um, is he going after Red's half? Is he wanting to get rid of the only person who knows where he is? I don't know. No, I, I, I don't. It, that, that is a big hole in that theory, isn't it? It is. You, you, you would have to suspend all you know about him and think that he was going to find Red to kill him. But if he's a murderous individual, he lets Red come down to Mexico just about 
maybe the time he's running short on the money he took down there himself. Red comes down, he kills off Red, has more money to go with. Wow. Oh, man, he had to do that. <laughs> wow. Um, sorry, you kind of left me speechless there. Now I'm going to have to ruminate on that. Which ruminate has been my away. answer for a lot of things. <laughs> Correct. All right. So that is uh, topic one. Uh, we do want to, again, talk about uh, memberships on our website. Uh, memberships support our work on the podcast. For more information, go to playbyyourpodcast.com backslash support. And uh, let's have a look of, at our uh, website here. And there's our uh, support page. And there you can see our Earbud Hall of Famers. These are the ones who are members. Allison Chavis, Christy Rocky, Joe Rocky, Chuck Griffin, Savannah Brown, who is in the room here with us, and Jessica Longacre, thanks to one and all for supporting our podcast through membership. If you go to that uh, page there, there's a buy me a coffee link here, and you can click on that. That goes to our crowdsourcing website, buymeacoffee.com, and you can uh, set up your membership from there. And thank you guys so much. Um, you know, you first... Hall of Famers have really um, that that really kind of gave us uh, a little bit of confidence that what we were doing was entertaining people. So we can't thank you enough. You, you are to uh, <laughs> you are responsible for what this has become. Don't say that to them. They <laughs> <laughs> discontinue membership. Make it all right. <laughs> all right. Topic two: Brady. Uh, caught me mid-sip there. Oh, what's going on here? Oh, uh, wow. what was that? That's that was the strangest thing ever. Okay, sorry. I was looking at myself at the screen, and there was a, an eclipse over me. There was like some kind of shadowy figure. But okay, um, my topic is a revisit of an older topic. They were coming back to it a little bit and adding to it because it was really funny, and it got a lot of reaction. So I call them, why are we accepting this marketing ploy? Why do we accept this as fact? We are asked to spend you know, critical thought and just accept some things that products and commercials throw at us simply because. Um, and, um, you know, we could, like I said, we could go back to some, oh, okay, I made a reference to one in the beginning of the episode, um, crystals. Everything has to have crystals in it to make it better, like freshed up cat litter with crystal action or, um, you know, all uh, uh, the flavor crystals in a cert. The, the crystal just we have to accept that that makes everything better. Um, so why? We don't know. That's just what they tell us. So um, I have another list that I have compiled. This is not a list from the Internet. I would like to proudly say that this is stuff that I've thought about that has stuck in my car. Are you sure you're proud? You sure you're proud of that? <laughs> let, let me rephrase this. This is the stupid stuff that keeps me up at night or, or pesters me as I walk down the aisle of a, of a supermarket or at a restaurant. And, um, yes, Eric and I had lunch the other day and, uh, I've got to say that it was our lunch. They kicked this off again. 
because I looked down at the menu and jumping off the page and kicking me across the chops was a hand padded burger. Why is that supposed to make me excited? First off, I don't care. Oh, no, no, no. Let me rephrase that. First off, what else would it be padded with? Now, I did bring that up in our conversation. Yeah, like, you could, know. A spatula. It could be spatula padded. But, but why does that make it worse? I mean, do, is there a foot padded sandwich? Is there is there some cook back there stepping on the patties? It's a foot padded sandwich. Makes it that much better. Or a patty. Or a, you know, or that's the one that I was absurdly demonstrating is they put it in their armpit and do the you know it's pit padded no like for real like the hand padded thing so what it asks us to accept is what else is it going to be padded with and b why does that make it better why is a hand padded burger better than one that has been lovingly cradled with a spatula and once again, we invite the audience to chime in on these things. Please maybe there's maybe there's some angle to this we're missing as far as why these things uh, so are it, marketing it, it, schemes. So my, my question to you is, would you eat, if there was a burger, a foot-padded burger, nobody's going to eat that. So um, I, I the, the only thing that I've got to go on is maybe nostalgia where you saw your grandmother making the patties with her hand. I don't know, but... Sorry, I mean, I'm sure there's grandmas that don't wash their hands out there just the same. I, I, I don't know why that is a big deal, but hand-padded sandwiches was what kicked this whole topic into gear, if you want to know what the catalyst was. So would you say there's a better chance that a spatula would be cleaner than a hand? Oh, I would absolutely say that a spatula would be cleaner than a hand. Okay. So, yeah, Can I we, say, Sarah, welcome aboard. And yes. why have I uh, feel like I've had this conversation before that I'm glad you did your homework. So, thank you for joining, Sarah. Thank uh, you, Sarah. Miss Wilson uh, makes it better than the frozen mass-produced machine form patties. But okay, so there again lies the question: Why is it better? Why? Why is a why is a hand-padded patty? better than the mass-produced machine form patty. And hearkening back to the last time we visited this subject, I bet that there is a German engineer someplace that appreciates the fact much more that it was made by a machine and not by a hand. It's like, look at the machinery on this. You know, like, it makes the patties very by the machine, grandfather. You know, that kind of deal. And, um, you know, I think it's to each his own, but to go on to the next one, which is related, and I have to admit that I got Eric laughing on this one. Same thing with a hand-spun milkshake. <laughs> I, I will not use the language that I use when describing it, but who cares if it's hand-spun or the little metal thing that does the, I, with the job more quickly and efficiently, I would guess. Now, I would, venture, I would venture to say that a hand-spun milkshake would not be drinkable through a straw. I will venture to say that it takes longer to do a hand-spun shake, and therefore I'm going to have more ice cream meltage, and it's going to be much more excellent if it was done by the little 
robot arm thing that spins it quickly, efficiently, and because it's metal, the conduction of temperature, it will stay cold and not melt my milkshake. So I'm going to rebel. You can keep your hand-spun milkshake. I bet it's tasty, but I want mine spun by the machine, which does it better. But you never see the machine-spun milkshake advertised. Like, spun by the highest technology, graphite reinforced with crystals. <laughs> but, yeah... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Gary, thank you uh, for joining us and his comment. It's just better, darn it. I believe he was referring to the burgers. Yeah. I guess that's just kind of what it comes back to. Uh, Sarah asked about the milkshakes as opposed to pre-mixed, maybe. Maybe. Could be. But I will venture to say those places that say hand-spun milkshakes, it's all coming from their distributorship. They're just spinning it by hand. They're not out there milking bossy and then putting the, you know, <laughs> chopping the fruit, the strawberries in there. They're just doing it inefficiently. I, I, I'm just, I, it just, I don't know. So, Ms. Wilson, the machine ones are usually thinner and less juicy. It applies homemade, which is usually tastier. And, and I do get that. Homemade ice cream, tremendous. There, and once again, I am not slagging on homemade stuff I'm just it's going back to the hand spun like <laughs> I can't um, I can't do it Eric um, but yeah like what once again is it gonna be foot spun is it gonna be uh, you know I don't know nasally spun it, it just uh, if, it, if it's done by human contact I don't know what else they're going to spin it with. You know? And, and we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. So, um, all right. Now, this one is a marketing. It's not as much a phrase, but it was something that we were supposed to accept. That the older I get. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm just seeing Miss Wilson's comments. She was still in the burger patties. Oh, I was wondering patties. what she meant by a juicy milkshake. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering that too. Yeah, I just thought more milky and less thick, you know, <laughs> anyway. Um, but uh, here we go. I, th this is something the older I get, the bigger it's a get off my lawn thing if I sound particularly crotchety tonight. Um, Irish spring soap. <laughs> Why on earth did that guy always ruin a good bar of soap by pulling out his knife and cutting chips out of it? to show you that the stripes went all the way through. And about those stripes. Now, what, other than being visually appealing, was there something to those stripes? We're just, <laughs> see, we're accepting it because a stripe is better. You have to see the stripes. So therefore, we're just accepting, oh, it's got stripes, you know? <laughs> It's like, I don't want that donkey, I don't want that zebra, it's got stripes, you know? It's like the same thing. But um, but he would just cut that big old thick piece of soap out and you've got a wasted piece of soap that's too small and slippery to be used. It'll actually become a hazard. Because if you drop it, and they're all and they're always at an exotic locale, they're like hanging out in a rock waterfall, daggone it, I'd be the guy that stopped stepping that sliver of, sliver of soap and falls three stories to my untimely demise because that dude cut off a piece of it. 
Okay, so I went to the to the Irish Spring website. So here here's the here's the comment. There's nothing quite like classic Irish Spring bar soup. Its freshness lasts 12 hours and its rich lather cleans you up no matter where your adventures take you. Irish Spring bar soap is available in a variety of scents and formulations for whatever clean you need. I want to be less clean. <laughs> I want the one that leaves me a little bit, like a little bit funky. God. How, many, how many variations of clean are there? That well. <laughs> and 12 hours. How do they know that? So I could I could lather up with the Irish Spring soap, go out and run seven miles, which I would never do. But <laughs> if I did, I'm guessing my freshness would no longer be there. I can imagine this lady in a stacked beehive, <laughs> in a lab coat, running alongside of you, going, and then writing down, <laughs> three hours in, still fresh. And, then, and what and what is fresh? <laughs> yeah, like I okay. Yes, Sarah, I am passionate about this subject. You can tell the Irish Spring thing has bugged me for a long time. I'm, I'm venting my spleen here. Um, but no, go back. Here's my challenge to you all, especially if you're younger than us. Go back to YouTube and watch a vintage Irish Spring commercial. And you'll see the butchery that that guy performs on that bar of soap <laughs> to show me that it has stripes, which I can see it is perfectly striped before he cut into it. <laughs> it's not hidden. It, it, it wasn't a facade. So anyway, but um, but yeah, it is just one of those. There, there's all kinds of things like the 12-hour freshness. I would say that that has to be like somewhat approved to be sold like that. It doesn't mean freshness, meaning you don't stink, or 12 hours later you still smell like the soap. I think maybe I can share this. <laughs> what? Is it a video? It's a video. Oh! Let me, let me, let me try to share. <laughs> I can't whistle that well, so I... Or wait a minute. I think I just might have accidentally done the Old Spice theme. And see that list. <laughs> and not to mention the guy's a boyer on around his horse while the poor lady's showering. <laughs> anyway, so so that that just you know sat on me strangely, as you could tell. Okay, according uh, according to Gary, uh, those stripes were hand spun. Takes too long to mix all the way. <laughs> If it was spun Nicely by a machine, played. it would all be the same color. Nicely played. Nicely played, Gary. Um, the next one. Anything that is put on the menu or marketed as beer battered. <laughs> beer battered. Beer battered now, fish. Beer battered chicken. Okay, I was going to say oh. fish I, is the only thing that comes to mind. So, Is there beer battered chicken? I, I'm, uh, you know, there's beer bread, which, you know, it's in its own category because it is as advertised. I'm sorry, I, I've, I've, 
I don't like fist, so I've never had the beer battered fist. But I, I'm pretty sure I think I have had beer battered chicken at like a uh, restaurant that, um, you know, y- yeah. It, well, anyway, but I guarantee you, a that beer is not tasted in that battering, and all that is doing is getting you to go because they assume you say beer. Ooh. It is playing to your rebellious side. So you're going to buy the beer thing. Get, you catch the little drink of something, you know, with your meal. Um, See, beer would, cause me, out. Be, beer would cause me to uh, shy away from it. I don't like beer. You know, so now beer bread beer is bad. good. And Sarah had said beer cheese. Um, I beer have cheese, had the yeah. beer cheese. And it does have a little finish. A beer, which is wheat, it, it's grains, so it has that bready. Yeah, I, I can tell that at the beer cheese. The beer battered, it cooks out. So I will challenge somebody that does it really make that big of a difference? And I got to take yeah, maybe a joke here. And you know, maybe the first does. time I saw beer battered fish, I imagine the Gorton's guy just going to town on some mackerel with a bottle of beer. That that's how he. That's how they pulled it onto the boat, knocked it out to process it. So it was battered by a can- by a bottle of beer. But I digress. Hey, Miss Wilson, the beer does have a distinct taste. The alcohol cooks out, but the hops taste stays. And thank you, Miss Wilson, because I'm not claiming to be an authority here. I just have questions. So, like, um, I-, I can't... Like, I'm having a hard time wrapping around that it makes that tremendous of a difference. And Miss Wilson just set me straight. If it does, please tell me, because I can't imagine it. I think she did. She did. Pan seared. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. What else are they going to sear it in? Garbage can lid seared. Yummy. Manhole covered seared. I- what else is it going to be seared with? If you're, if you're telling me that in the process of cooking it, they seared it, that's all I need to know. This is seared chicken. Why do they have to tell me it's pan seared? I don't know. I have no answer for that. I, I know. Like I said, you know, like I said, if you pulled the manhole cover off the street and you're, you know, doing a pork chop on that, it's like, look, look what I'm doing. It's, I'm searing it on the manhole cover. That's interesting. The pan seared, duh, where else is it going to be? So, I could go quickly on. Um, let's see. I'm going to go old school to a toy. Never understood this. And I can't say that it's a marketing term that we still are accepting, but it is a marketing ploy that as a kid, I didn't get it. And I still don't. It's, but it is the G.I. Joe action figures from this, with Kung Fu Grip. <laughs> Now, I had one of these. I, I I was very small, probably like four or five years old when the large size G.I. Joe went the way of the dinosaur and they went to the smaller action figures. But my right. cousins, my older cousins had some. And I will demonstrate what Kung Fu Grip was for real. They had rubbery hands and it would do this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's what Kung Fu Grip was. So, Why is that imposing? Oh, there's a ninja. Hold on. You know. But now, correct me if I'm wrong. But wrong. 
you can't crack me out. I didn't say. <laughs> did did kung fu consist of grabbing things? I mean, I thought it was punching and kicking and such. Punching and kicking, and, and you know, if you're holding somebody hard while you rip their trachea from their throat, a la Roadhouse in martial arts, is that kung fu? But, but I, I did, yeah, because that was more of the like the jujitsu, the Japanese martial arts. It was a little bit more right. devastating. Kung fu is prettier and more poetic. Right. And but 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 no, literally, even in the commercial, the kung fu grip. You put the action figure and did that with their hands. I don't get it. It was 1970s it was technology. It, it was, was a big, a big deal. deal. And um, so anyway, uh, that was that was one. Back to toys. And after I wrote it, I get it. I, I have to say that I wrote this down, and I'm not a little girl, but dolls with realistic hair realistic hair and i guess that's because they you know style it and everything but my first reaction is like who cares if it's realistic to, you know what i mean well like and like you said you, i guess you came to the realization it, it's about styling it. it it's about styling so i i here's an example where something made my list and i'm you know big enough to admit that okay now i got it after some thought I guess more goes what the, the question becomes, what goes into making the realistic hair versus the non-realistic hair? Yeah, like, well, in G.I. Joe, you know, those action figures with the Kung Fu grip, they had realistic hair, but basically it was like Mossman from Heeman, but it was brown colored. It was like a space age carpet on their head. You know, and it wasn't very realistic. It was just kind of weird, actually. And um, I'm so glad that they went to action figures with painted on hair, because that always weirded me out about G.I. Joe. So, like they had AstroTurf on their head. <laughs> but, um, all right. Anything with oatmeal in it that's not meant to be eaten. Um, there was some, I remember as a kid, there was this uh, bath product, Avino, and yes. it showed the lady sliding into the bathtub. Ah, Avino with real oatmeal. Who cares? All I'm saying in this day and age, the thing that would be beneficial from oatmeal could be extracted and pressed out and started. You don't have to put, you know, you don't have to get the Quaker Oats guy to dump things in my soap. To convince me to put it on my body, I actually don't want to wear breakfast. So, Avino did have that consistency of oatmealish. But once it got in the water, was there? Did it? Did it well, look I, like your? I, I, you know, I don't know that. I, I see. That's right. That. Now I could totally be down the plant extract going into a soap for you know, like aloe, you know. Maybe oatmeal juice has a healing quality, which I'm sure it does, but the, I don't think you have to tell me about it. I don't think I need to know that there's oatmeal in there to make me feel better. I just want to know that if I've got a case of poison ivy and I get into that bath with the Avino, it's going to make me feel better. I don't care if it's oatmeal or blackberry leaves or whatever kind of marketing ploy that they use. 
We just accept that oatmeal makes us feel better. But does that go back to the au naturel of oatmeal versus some laboratory created whatever that makes you feel better? That's true. But, and I know that there's this push that nature is bad, but sometimes we have perfected things a little better. Now, I'm guilty of it too. Homemade, all natural, organic, I get it. But I don't necessarily, once again, I don't want floating chunks of oatmeal in my soap. That's basically what I'm saying. And Alvino kind of implies that when I put that in the water, I'm going to have chunks of strawberries and peaches in there too. And now, strawberries and peaches are not oatmeal. No, but they're strawberries and cream oatmeal, or you can smell like maple, whatever, what, what, whatever varieties of oatmeal that there are that's out there. Which, by the way, have you ever have you noticed some of the new things they're doing to oatmeal to entice kids? I saw one that has unicorn eggs in it. I, I didn't look. And what farther. does a unicorn egg taste like? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it was a multicolored looking tie-dye looking egg that will turn your oatmeal some colors. But I don't know if it was like a malted milk ball. Um, I, and, I don't know. and on top of the fact that the unicorn is a horse, I don't know if I want to ingest the eggs. <laughs> yeah. So um, Or apples or anything else that may <laughs> emanate from the unicorn. Horse apple oatmeal. <laughs> That's not going to go over well. A true story. I think it was Williamsburg, Virginia. My ornery Aunt Cheryl bought a box of a candy. It, it was made to look like Esther Price candy, but it was horse apples. And, and it was individually wrapped horse droppings that they actually sold. But she was going to actually gift to one of my other uncles. So, yeah. Ms. Wilson asked what's wrong with bathing and having breakfast at the same time. <laughs> that is true. E- efficiency. That is I'm efficiency. all about efficiency. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they would be able to get away on TV with Aunt Jemima in your bathtub. You know, like, or having one of the other characters... Um, you know, the food characters like Chef Boyardee or, uh, you know, sit there in the bathtub with you. That'd be getting a little bit creepy. The Gordon's Fisherman, the Tidy Bowl Man. Now he's in the toilet. But uh, anyway, I think I pretty much got through my um, my list. Um, I was going to mention beta carotene. There was a big, uh, there was a big push where shampoo had beta carotene in it, and everything was. I'm sure it's gonna have some use, but everything had beta carotene in it. Yep, I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah, like you said, aloe was big for a while. Aloe kind of seemed to go by the wayside as far as a marketing ploy. Now you can get aloe juice to drink. It's supposed to be a hydrator. I can't get around that because. The consistency is Vaseline. Is it like drinking flavored Vaseline? If anybody's drank the aloe juice, let me know. But I, I could be wrong, but I, I had a problem with that. It was a texture thing. Yes, maybe with a vino, as Miss Wilson says, the Quaker Oatman would also be in the tub with you. <laughs> with his, <laughs> his mullet under his, his uh, tri-cornered hat. His tri-cornered hat, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Barbara Bush or someone <laughs> claimed that it. Oh, I remember right. the first time I heard that. Uh, anything else on that topic, Mr. Liming? I think we're pretty good, but you know what? This is the topic that keeps on giving because, like I said, all it does is take me a trip to go to the uh, to Kroger and go down the aisles. This stuff just jumps out of me. So you never know. So there'll probably be a part three somewhere down the line. <laughs> Someday along the line, there will be. All right. So before we get into topic number three, if you ever wonder what we're talking about when we use certain terms, you can visit our website and go to the isms. And I'll share the screen once again and uh, see the play by ear isms right here, which is the next last thing on the menu at the top of the screen. If you click on that, and I again, I keep saying we have isms to add, and I just haven't added them. We need to have a conversation about what we need to add to our isms. Yeah, we need to add a few more terms. Um, might have to. We might have to put an ism. It's really not an ism, but we need to probably put an explanation of why Randy the Cane Toad keeps on coming up. Indeed. Okay, uh, we always give you an example of an ism. Uh, the pork tender groin, which is the <laughs> play it by ear term for a deep fried pork tenderloin sandwich made, made famous by the Brown County Fair, known to normal people as a pork tenderloin. So, yeah, in our world. <laughs> a shout the, out to uh, my colleague and uh, enlister, Kyle Brewer. Um, he said that um, his friends, they were listening to an episode while on vacation in Florida. And uh, they and they got to, and they made it a point that they were going to call them tender groins whenever they ordered them out. And there is a local <laughs> county fair going on this week, the Adams County Fair. And my challenge was one of them to go up and order a pork tender groin and watch the hilarity ensue. They need to record that and send it to us. Yes. Of them ordering a pork tender groin. He also said that at a restaurant, he ordered something and told the waitress to make sure it was up again and none in it. <laughs> said that she didn't look very happy or kind of confused. <laughs> Confusion, I'm sure, followed that uh, comment as it does with most people we interact with outside of our <laughs> show. All right. So we are to topic number three, and uh, with Todd not being with us tonight, we kind of had to put our heads together and, and come up with a topic number three. And usually, like I said at the uh, top of the show, we usually play a game, but we can't play a game with just the two of us here with uh, no one to kind of compete against each other and be the moderator. So uh, we have a topic number three here. And we decided on this one because we had kind of discussed it, uh, but Todd being a little bit younger than us may not have been quite as efficient at putting uh, comments in on this particular thing. So th this is a shout out, I guess, to the older set of our uh, audience. However, I, I believe the younger set will appreciate it as well. And all of this exists on YouTube. Yes. And Boom Network and uh, like vintage car, the place where you find your vintage fun. Go ahead, Eric. I'll just. Yes. There you go. All right. So, uh, the conversation between the two of us, and again, we didn't go really in depth into it, but we tried to find a topic. And the, the first conversation 
was our all-star lineup of Saturday morning cartoons. And Brady said, well, does it have to be cartoons? Can it be shows? Because there were, like, live-action shows, and there were also cartoons. I said, sure, why not? Why not Saturday morning shows? But then we, I, started looking at uh, some lists and came upon a list of uh, 30 live-action shows from uh, Saturday morning television that will give you all the nostalgia. So these are specifically live-action kid shows. And they don't make kid shows like this anymore. Uh, probably the most recent one here on this list is Pee Wee's Playhouse, I would think. Uh, again, I haven't yeah. uh, gone through the list extensively, but uh, that would kind of come to my mind as probably the most recent. So I, I would guess... Most all of our audience would be familiar with Pee Wee's yeah. Playhouse. Let me say a... this. There is live action kids programming, but the concept of the Saturday morning only show, because right. there's things like iCarly and Sam and right. Cad and those kind of things that are on Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, that they make those, which are live action. But once we get started, you're going to know what we're talking about. Right. Uh, basically, cartoons with actual people rather than drawings. That's kind of what we're at here. All right, so, again, I'll, I'll kind of... There's 30 on the list here. I'll, I'll kind of just kind of jump around, I guess. Um, and I mentioned Pee-wee's Playhouse uh, probably being the most recent one here. And uh, i come up with the, the years on this. Pee-wee's Playhouse, 1986 to 1990. And... Uh, yeah. Pee-wee Herman, probably one of the biggest characters in pop culture in that time period of any character there was. Or his fall from grace. <laughs> so to speak. And uh, you, you can look up uh, how Paul Rubens, which is Pee-wee's actual name, I guess, uh, he played the character in Pee-wee, but Paul Rubens, how he fell from grace, you can look that up on uh, and Google that. But uh, again, 1986-90, uh, the show was a wacky imaginarium, according to this list. Uh, he would uh, have daily secret words, talking chairs, disembodied genies, uh, all kinds of interesting stuff going on there. I never actually watched the show. Again, this was more when we were in high school, so this was a little bit beyond probably us uh, partaking of Saturday morning programming too much. I loved Pee-wee's Big Adventure, um, and I have watched Pee-wee's Playhouse and laughed at it now as an adult. But uh, to be honest, it, yeah, we would have been a little bit too old. It would have been uncool for us to kind of watch that. It would, you know, we would not have, we would not have been the target. Well, th that's true, but I don't know about the uncool part because it seems like there were a lot of people in our age group that did watch it. I remember yeah. people talking about watching it. Yeah, I, I didn't mean, watch it. And I watched it in passing, but I think today, if you gave me a box set of Pee Wee's Playhouse, I'd probably watch it beginning to end and love it. Um, you know, like the word of the day. I, I remember us doing that, you know, kind of jokingly. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I guess my humor, I like a little bit more highbrow than that. That's <laughs> why I, I, I just never cared for Pee Wee Herman at all. Uh, I just didn't like that pratfall sort of humor. But 
Large Mart. Oh, well, no, that was Peavy's Big Adventure. Um, there. Okay, and I'm. I'm saying this with a serious face. I'm kind of telling on myself, and I'm not being funny here, even though it's going to be kind of funny. There's probably not a day. Uh, there's probably not a week that has gone by since 1985, for when brushing my teeth, I don't go mad dog. <laughs> Once I've got the toothpaste in my mouth, or at least I think it. <laughs> that is fun. So yeah, that it, it's uh, it, it's it's stuck in there. So there there are some things from Pee Wee Herman that are you know entrenched in us forever. So Miss Wilson loved Pee Wee's Playhouse, watched it with her son Bryce, and uh, Dale. Welcome, Dale. Welcome, Dale. <laughs> Uh, he has the comment that a lot of people have when they happen upon our show in the middle. What? Ha, 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 ha. I actually think he's making a peewee quote. What? Oh, okay. There you go. There yeah, you go. Yeah. I, I thought he was just saying, what in the world are you all talking <laughs> Which about? Which does happen often. Yeah, that, that does happen. Um, your uh, secretary, who is it that always comes in? Which one of our listeners always seems to come in in the weird times? Is it Trina? Uh, I, I can't remember anyone specifically. Yeah. Seems like the same person, like three times. Like I don't know what's going on here. All right, so uh, I'm going to go back here on the list. Going to go back a little further in time again. Uh, people who are a little older in our uh, our group here. If you're not this old and remember this one it was actually on TV in real time, you can, as Brady said, go back to YouTube and search this stuff out, and uh, you will see that I believe a lot of it came from the. Uh, drug-induced hysteria of the writers. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. And the first one I'll put on here, although this one, as I told Brady, was not actually on when we were alive, but has come back, or did come back in reruns a little later, like when we were very little. And uh, you may have heard of it, H.R. Puffin Stuff. Only lasted one season, which was surprising to me. I didn't know that. Um, it was a full-size puppet show, so <laughs> unlike the Muppets, which you r really didn't ever see their legs too much, but, I mean, these were full-size puppets. Uh, and like they, the walking characters at Disney. Right, right. So uh, it was a novel concept at the time. Uh, again, a little scary to look at. It seems a little LSD-ish. Yeah, um, but popular. Dirty. Yes, the popular show introduced wide-eyed children to the the mayor of Living Island in its distinct residence. Uh, that H.R. Uh, Puffin stuff was the mayor of said island. Um, and so there's a, a human boy in the show, and he gets shipwrecked on this island. And that's kind of where he comes in. So Jimmy is the boy and happens upon these, these puppets, these life-size puppets. My sister and I had a 45 record that was given to us. I think it came from a cereal box from back in the day or something, but it had the HR Puffin stuff, Puffin stuff um, the, uh, on one side, the theme song on the other. And Jimmy had a song about being a mechanical boy on the other side. Right. So, you know, I, that's why I could sing the theme song is because we had that little record. And I remember it being on a couple times, but I don't think I paid it much. Never mind. Yeah. All right, so here is one from Brady and I's wheelhouse. The Croft Super Show, 1976 to 1978. 
All right, so the, the Crofts were uh, responsible for a lot of different things of this ilk over our uh, early childhood. Sid and the, Marty. Sid and Marty Croft, yes. Uh, the, the Super Show was uh, part of their, uh, their uh, catalog, I guess you could say. So this was uh, a vignette show uh, where you had uh, different mini-shows within the, I think it was an hour long, was it not? Was it an hour or an hour and a half? Something like that. I, I mean, believe it, was, it, it might have been 90 minutes. Yeah. So uh, you had different mini-shows within the big show. Uh, and in between the mini-shows, you had a band, which for the first season or two seasons was Captain Cool and the Calms, which did musical numbers. And the third season was the then-popular Bay City Rollers of uh, Saturday. D-U-R-D-A-Y. Nice. So, yeah, that band was on in the last season. So some of the mini-shows are in this list as well. So... The, the Croft Super Show was the, the overarching show. All right, so Miss Wilson watched HR Puffin stuff as a child. The theme song is definitely drug-related. <laughs> I, like I said, I think it's more than the theme song. But, uh, I'm sure the theme... I, I don't remember. Brady, was that what was on that record you were talking about? The theme um, song? The theme song, all I remember is, because Jimmy had a high-pitched voice, it was like, HR Puffin stuff. You'll have to just look it up because I can still sing that part of it. (laughs) All right. Next on the list. Oh, wait a minute. What are the show? Are we going to talk about some of the shows on the Croft Super Show? Yeah. And like I said, I think there some of these are within this list. All right. So we can we can come back to it. Uh, Again, right in our wheelhouse, early elementary school, the Shazam. ISIS hour <laughs> has a totally meaning today. Yes. Um, so uh, Shazam, that movie, the feature-length film, came out two, three, four years ago, something like that. Uh, yeah. This character was uh, based in this show in the seventies, the seventy-four to seventy-seven, uh, which is DC's Captain Marvel. So uh, I kind of had an issue with the the movie because Captain Marvel from the Shazam that I remember, I was not into the comic book, so the Shazam I remembered was male and the uh, Captain Marvel in the movie was female So uh, point of order, different Captain Marvels yeah, I know, I I, I heard all that I I, I can't wrap my head around it, I don't even try (laughs) I just I I know the Shazam that I know and the Shazam I knew was, was this guy um, so uh, it was on CBS 1974 uh, to 77 uh, Isis was basically the female version of this Captain Marvel Shazam uh, she was a school teacher she was uh, kind of a superhero sort of school teacher uh, Film Nation was responsible they would go on to create Heman wow yeah um, Isis, she was kind of like, she kind of looked like a flying Cleopatra. If you could, if you went to the cos, the costume shop, and you got like a female pharaoh, like a hot pharaoh outfit, that's what she was. Correct. But um, nowadays, you know, you don't want to turn on the tube and say, "Follow the heroics of Isis." You, you, it's not yeah. that you're going to be disturbed. 
But um, the thing that was awesome about Shazam, I mean, it was real low tech. The flying scenes were just laughable by today's standards. <laughs> and yes. the thing that I, and even as a kid, I, I grew up on comic books and I love them dearly. But even I had a problem that Shazam or Captain Marvel's cape looked like it'd be the tablecloth on a set on The Price is Right. Well, let, let me share it here. I got because to show it, 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 it was like, I mean, this reek of mid-early 70s. And like I said, it looks like it'd be something on the set of Price is Right. Am I right or am I right? You are correct. Thank you. And um, like I said, the flying was woefully bad. And um, there was some comedian, and I do not remember who it was, was talking about like the whole concept of Shazam. The boy, Billy Batson, was a teenager, but he was just traveling around the country in a Winnebago with some older man that was not his parent or anything. He was yeah. just called his mentor. Yeah, that, uh, that does put on a whole different line of thinking. There's Shazam's cape. And you're correct. Those those symbols on the cape look like the uh, the little symbols okay, on the Price is Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're correct. It does look like a tablecloth. Hey, uh, can you uh, pull ISIS up? Uh, I, you know, I want In my memory, she looked like an Egyptian princess, but I don't know if I'm far off. But um, but both of them were the same. They were just female male female versions of another of each other and um you know i just always liked it as a kid but even back then i knew that the special effects weren't so special here we go oh here we go here we go i got it oh where's it where's 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 it there she is there she is and she has yep. the, the head head I wanna call it a headdress, what you call that thing, that little gem thing in in her fore, in her forehead and uh, the little uh, mini skirt sort of uh, outfit. So yeah. It's kinda like a hot pharaoh, like a <laughs> Yeah. So So as Shazam I remember uh in order to turn into Shazam he would yell Shazam! And then you'd hear this music. Da, 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 da. And he'd get struck by lightning. Instead of frying to a crisp, he would transform into a superhero. Yeah. Do you know what Shazam stands for? Uh, I've I heard this before. Yeah, I know. And I don't remember all of them, but they were like a pantheon of Greek gods. Right. Like, uh, I think it was like... Uh, Z was Zeus, right? Zeus, yeah. Apollo... Hercules, um, you know, Mars. (laughs) Yeah. Mars, right? Which was a combination of the Greek and Roman, which if you get technical, but, but whatever I ever got, you know, accidentally said that at the wrong time, like slipped on the soap left by the uh, Irish spring guy with, you know, transformed right there in the, Sorry. So uh, Miss Wilson uh, gives us the lyrics to the HR Puffin Stuff theme. HR Puffin Stuff, who's your friend when things get rough? HR Puffin Stuff can't do a little cause he can't do enough. Yeah, that's it. HR Puffin Stuff. 
That's it. That's it. Yeah, I just needed the words. I can still sing it. <laughs> nice. All right, moving on. Arc two. Nineteen seventy-six. Yeah. Um. Loved it. And um, it was a very exciting moment in my life. There, in arc two, there is this thing where to open a door. They was yeah. They would do this. So there would be a little hand part, and they would go like this, and the door would open. I still do that when I walk into Kroger. Full disclosure. <laughs> so there's a picture from uh, Arc Two. So it's and, the uh, lead singer of the Spin Doctors in a high tech RV. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, the series centers on a trio of scientists trying to help people when pollution all but ruins planet Earth. So the, the, that was a theme from <laughs> 70s uh, cartoons and shows. Uh, you have Arc 2, which talks about pollution ruining the Earth. If you remember, Star Blazers also went on their journey, which was a 1970s cartoon, which was actually on during the week. It was not on, on yeah. Saturdays. Uh, but they went on their journey to try to uh, keep Mother Earth from uh, disappearing due to some sort but, of pollution as well. Yeah, it was, the Gamelons hit Earth with with radiation to destroy it, so they had to go someplace to get the Cosmo DNA to save it. But right. the humans didn't do the polluting. Deslock, Deslock, Deslock. That's a deep cut. Yes. We probably just lost two-thirds of our audience there. <laughs> All right, next one. Brady, I don't know if you remember this one. Monster Squad. Live action series featured Dracula and the Wolfman. However, it also featured inspired a kid-friendly premise on par with the movie that shares its namesake. Now, I remember the movie. I don't remember the TV show. Frankenstein joins Drac and Bruce W. Wolf to form a literal <laughs> squad. <laughs> Of crime-fighting monsters. They had a crime computer naturally known as the crime computer and a pretty sweet ride, the black monster van. Because everyone in the 70s had a van. (laughs) Stabbing wagon. (laughs) Our monster heroes also took a page from Batman's playbook and gave themselves utility belts. Oh, now, that, uh, that goes back to another 1970s cartoon, which was on during the week and not on Saturdays, The Groovy Ghoulies. Oh, yeah. Boy, that just reeked of uh, <laughs> uh, drug induction, didn't it? Yes, it did. Uh, and, yeah, you can look up uh, Groovy Ghoulies at your leisure. Uh, next on our list, since we're talking about the live-action piece, Land of the Lost. Yes. 1974 to 76. So uh, if you remember, 2007, Will Ferrell had a big screen adaption to this. It was a box office disappointment. Uh, But that show was based upon this one from the 70s. And, uh, of course... The one in the 70s was not meant to be funny. No. No, it it was meant to be totally serious. But in turn, it was somewhat humorous. It was... Uh, Land of the Lost took two of our favorite things, alternate universes and dinosaurs, and combined them to create a cheesy but entertaining show about the Marshall family's adventure in a realm that's home to dinosaurs. 
Each week, the Marshals struggled to survive their new home long enough to find a way back to their real one. They were on a white water rafting trip, and somehow they went down the wrong rapid, and they ended up in Jurassic Park, like a like a hollow earth, you know, lost kingdom. Yes. And they had this ape-looking kid. He was a right. hominid, hominid, hominid. <laughs> All right. This next one, Brady, I don't know if you... Uh... This was this was a little bit beyond us, I think. I do remember it being mentioned, uh, and so maybe some of our younger audience members may have watched it. The Zubilee Zoo. I have seen it on the um, like the guide program guide. Yeah, never watched it. Uh, hosted by Ben Vereen, centered around a group of six actors dressed as animal characters who call the zoo home. Not to be confused with New Zoo Review. Correct. Which was on during the week, which was not a Saturday morning show. Was live action, however. Yes. <laughs> blah, 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 Henrietta. Henrietta Hippo. Blah, 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 Charlie and the Owl. the Owl. Sorry, it's funny because we still don't know the lyrics. You know, you just, you just blah, blah, blah until you got to the character's name. Let, let, let's see. The, the, then there's the blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. And the animals talk and sing. And Doug and Betty Joe. Joe. Every day's a different it's show. It's a news <laughs> it's new review. <laughs> Come ride you. <laughs> Randy uh, the Cane Toad was not on that. Correct. Now, I said that uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse was the most recent of the live-action Saturday morning shows. And I was incorrect on that because I left out probably one of the biggest ones of all time. Saved by the Bell. Yes which, and no. Which doesn't fit into the cartoon with live people deal. So it but was more. It was a Saturday morning show in the truest sense. Yes. Um, so maybe it doesn't fit our definition of what we're looking at, but it does fit the definition yeah. of yeah. live action Saturday morning programming. All right. Moving on. Sarah, are you so excited? <laughs> you just can't hide it. Right. By the save but bell. Yes. Okay, so here's another extension from Shazam. And I, I don't know that I remember this one, Brady. Maybe you do. The Kid Superpower Hour with Shazam. 1981-82. Yeah, um, they brought it back... And, and, and my memory could be totally incorrect in failing me, but I think they just added some different some different shows, but they would flashback and they would play an old Shazam clip. Right. So, uh, interesting uh, description of this show by whoever wrote this article. It says, if an ice show minus the ice an American bandstand had a baby, it would be the kid's superpower, however, Shazam. <laughs> I know exactly what they mean. I get it. Oh, and and here's another one, Brady. I don't know if you remember this one either. And I maybe vaguely do. Like I said, I hadn't really gone through this list too much, but Richard Pryor had a Saturday morning show. <laughs> That's a town. Live action. No 19... Way. 1984. 
Saturday morning CBS ran for one season. Um, <laughs> each week prior would interact with an entertaining cast of puppets and children, Sesame Street style. No way. You're but lying. unlike Sesame Street, prior show took on a more serious issues and had mindful discussions about them with a young cast of children. Given the current climate, we could use a prior's place today, according to the author of this article. However, is Richard Pryor really the one you want talking to your kids about how to deal with uh, particular issues? Did you just hurt your nose? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What are you doing? Fuck it, mama. <laughs> Jesus, Lord. Jesus, heaven. <laughs> There is one of those uh, Richard Pryor stand-up that his youths would make us laugh hysterically, and it's still, you know, it's irreverent and inappropriate, but daggone, was it funny? Yes. Okay, Brady, here's another one. I don't know if you remember this one or not. I remember hearing about it. Not sure I ever watched it. Vid Kids, 1986. Wow. Was it a kids' video show, like an MTV thing? Um, the low-budget series features a cast of kids bouncing around and singing along in some very 80s attire and hair to some even more 80s songs. See, that sounds so, like I remember Kids Incorporated. Yes, it but says it, Kids it, Incorporated meets MTV is what this show is okay. described as. So this was actually on in Canada. I don't know if it was on in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that huh. sounds really... All right, so for the benefit of our younger audience, I'm going to talk about some more recent ones. And, and again, I had not gone through this list. I assume Saved by the Bell was, of course, she had Saved by the Bell, the new class, which I think is garbage, but maybe some people like that. I can't, can't do it. Anyway, uh, California Dreams, 1997. Oh, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I remember that one. Um, Surf Dudes with Attitudes. According to this, uh, their tunes were a mi mix of catchy bubblegum pop and the type of song that you could ignore in the background of your middle school dance. But the fictional band couldn't even come close to producing a song as unforgettable as the California Dreams theme song. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do remember that. It's one of those things I would catch in passing and I kind of like it would be ashamed. It's like, you know what? I think I could get into this if I sat down and watched it. But yeah. yeah. All right, next on our list here, uh, Sweet Valley High, 1994 to 97. Uh, I remember there being books. I do remember. Um, she's a sweet, wait, wait. She's a Sweet Valley girl. He's a Sweet Valley guy, blah, 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 Sweet Valley High, something about the commercial. <laughs> I, like, I kind of remember that. Uh, home uh, was the fictional town of Sweet Valley, California, which would often spark drama between the very likable Elizabeth and her more irresponsible flirt of a sister, Jessica. The series was a big deal, spawning a popular soundtrack and three seasons worth of episodes that became a hit on home video. Wow. All right. Uh, Sarah was one year old. Uh, I don't know which show you were talking about. You were one year old there. but uh, Shut it. Shut it. Uh, Gary, was that Holy Smokes Kids with Richard Pryor? <laughs> uh, yeah, Richard Pryor. 
unbelievable. All right, Doug, did you remember there being a live-action reboot of Flipper on Saturday mornings, 1995 to 2000? No. But I could still sing the theme song and do the synchronized swimming thing that I made for the sweeps and swim. Did the pool going, Flipper, Flipper, faster than lightning. Yeah, but now there was a new one. You know, Shazam was a guy, right? All right. Uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Did not know that was on Saturday oh, yeah. mornings. I know yeah. it was a daily thing, but uh, did not know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a kid version of American Gladiators, 94 to 96, Gladiators 2000, which uh, kids would do the things American Gladiators would do. Ah, I forgot about this one, too. Beekman's World. Oh, I loved Beekman's World. It was good. 93 to 98, Science for Kids. Kind of a Bill Nye the Science Guy sort of thing. Oh, I I was firmly in Beekman camp over Bill Nye camp. Yeah, well, Beekman was more of a character, whereas, I guess, Bill Nye's... And his uh, Lester the Lab Rat. There was this dude with the beard that would dress up in a rat costume. Beekman was Transformers to Bill Nye being GoBots, in my in my opinion. Lester, a real-life actor, dressed up to look like a mangy rat, according to the author. Uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, also on Saturday mornings from uh, 93 yeah. to 98. So I guess maybe those two were competing against Hopefully one another. That. So... Uh, Let's go back to the Croft Super Show for a moment, Brady. We, Let's. I, I thought those individual shows would be in that list, but apparently they weren't. So uh, let's speak to those. Uh, if you don't know, again, the Croft Super Show, going back to that, was a, I believe it was a 90-minute show. It had many shows within the, the big show, so like 20, 25-minute mini shows. So Brady, uh, kind of go through the list there. Okay. Involved. So if my sister is watching, it was it was our Saturday morning routine. We watched this. I still have a uh, Croft Super Show comic book that was put out at that point. And um, I could still pretty much sing the theme songs to about every every segment on the show. Um, so one that comes to mind is Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. Yes. Okay, so it's a, it was a crime-fighting duo, and um, they uh, they uh, had a very uh, very cool kind of early '80s theme song. But anyway, they would they had their electricoms on their wrist, which was the predecessor of the smartwatch or cell phone, which you know was now that I look back on it. So I saw some Pee Wee Herman there. But yeah, um, Electro Woman and Dyna Girl was definitely I'm, I'm, a crime-fighting I'm... duo. I'm sharing uh, there. Like there the they are. Dinah girl. <laughs> oh, that's cheese-tastic. Nice. Yeah, I kind of had a little bit of a thing for Electra Woman. Um, I can't see the... I think I see the Electricom on her wrist. Maybe. But, um, so uh, one of the other ones, keep that uh, Google machine up there, Eric, uh, was um, Bigfoot and Wild Boy. Yes. Which is the same Bigfoot. It was in the $6 million man. 
Now, is it the same big feats that we've been talking about? No. In fact, I think Bigfoot is, um, it was robotic. But now, I, I will tell you once again, there's a lot of uh, subtext to Bigfoot, Wild Boy. But, um, you know, for some reason, I'm trying to remember, and I could be wrong. I didn't think it was in the past, but he always kind of, Wild Boy always kind of ran around in a in a fur loincloth kind of thing. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, I'm trying to find a picture that there. That yeah, the there he goes. Fur, uh, fur cod piece. Yes. Loin. <laughs> 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 no, that's an animal kingdom uh, paradox there. Because you'd have to have a fur cod. But, um, True. But anyway, yeah. But uh, Bigfoot was a protagonist. He was scary looking, and there was always a misunderstanding because they would realize that Bigfoot was good and just scary looking, and Wild Boy was his, uh, um, his handler. You know, yes, his, yeah, his manager. His manager. Um, there was, see, Bigfoot and Wild Boy, Electro Woman and Dino Girl. There was also Dr. Shrinker about some teenagers that went to a haunted castle, and Dr. Shrinker shrank them. And so they had to, uh, you know, uh, live through the perils of Dr. Shrinker's um, evil house cat and things like that. But it had an awesome theme, sh- theme song. It's Dr. Shrinker, Dr. Shrinker. And I was really, okay, there was a rugby shirt that I had that mirrored the um, character from Dr. Shrinker. It was like blue and gold rugby shirt. And I was so happy when I got that because it looked like the guy from Dr. Shrinker, and I do not know if there's a picture oh, available. Yeah, of that. There it is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So it's basically, it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with bad special effects and an evil shrinker instead of an accidental shrinker. Correct. Um, now, there is one... Was Wonderbug in there, too? Um... I don't know if Wonderbug was in the Croft Super Show or it was its own Wonder, thing. Yeah, Wonderbug was kind of like Speed Buggy, but it was live action. It was a living car. Right. Get Wonderbug up here. So am I leaving anything out of the, the Super Show segments? I think I caught them all. Oh, well, just answer the question there. Wonderbug. Aha. The Croft Super Show. So there we was. go. There we go. Need a few other pictures there. There's Wonderbug. Wonderbug. Yes. Yeah. Wonderbug had a game. Did not know that. Yes. It had a lunchbox, too. Wonderbug had a coloring book. Yeah. Let me see that Wonderbug. I want to see the uh, I want to see the lunchbox. I know there was one. I didn't have it, but somebody did. Because I remember I remember in kindergarten, somebody having a Wonderbug lunchbox. I guarantee it, it's out there. So there's the Sid and Marty Croft television production. Yeah. So were those the only shows? Did I, am I leaving anything out? Um, I now, guess Land, with Land of the Lost was a Croft show, but it was not okay. part of the super show, I don't think. Now, I, I'm going to go off script a little bit. This isn't... Croft Super Show, but I know we're getting kind of close to time here. 
My, yeah, there's big. Uh, yeah, there they are. Um, so um, I don't. There's, the it, there's a, yeah, right yeah. there on the wrist. wrist um, one of my favorite live actions was called "The Kids from Caper," and it basically it, they, they were young sleuths. Like the man from Uncle, isn't it? C A P E R was. Yeah, it stood in. for something. I didn't know that back then, but they were young teenage sleuths that would um, go. But but they would sing songs. They were kind of like a boy band in a van. And I, I'm I'll stand behind to this day. They had some solid pop offerings during that that TV show. There they are. Let's see, um, I know. Let's see. Bugs, Doc. Uh, I don't. I forget what the first one's name was, and the, the one on the right, uh, the one on the far right. But I know that it was Doc. It was Bugs and Doc. But I don't remember the other two. Bugs and Doc. Is that Looney Tunes reference or what? I don't know. I don't know. But it was. Uh, but and I the other thing I remember is Doc was like the ladies man. He was the uh, he but he had a really bad blue leisure suit. The, even when I was like six or seven, is like nah, that's not gonna age well. So this is a uh, an article from Tiger Beat saying that uh, the kids were uh, mad that the Caper album was hard to find. I guess they put out an album with uh, with their music on it. I bet if my sister dug somewhere that she would take her little handheld cassette recorder and she recorded the songs from the TV show. <laughs> and we would listen to that on vacation because we would record the songs from it. Right. Which is what you had to do back in the 70s. You didn't have one of those newfangled VCRs. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. All right. Anything else on that topic? Not that I can think of off the top of my head, but uh, that was fun as heck. Yes, uh, brought back a lot of memories there. Yes. All right, uh, as we end up our last topic here, I want to remind you that uh, our audio version of this show will come out Friday morning, 3 a.m., as always. Uh, you can find it on most any platform you can find audio podcasts on. And uh, interesting, we all always talk about looking at our numbers and where people are listening and whatnot. Um, if you look, and we can kind of take it down to the past 30 days, the past seven days, uh, it's interesting to look at the different platforms that people are listening on. Our second, actually tied for our first highest platform listened to in the last 30 days is Ghana. From uh, It's an Indian uh, podcast platform so uh, I really guess we have a lot of uh, listeners from India hello and, make uh, yourselves known please yes. contact Actually, us 20% of our listening audiences from India so uh, welcome and, welcome uh, so, some of the uh, lesser known platforms of course you know about Spotify and Apple Podcasts CastBox is uh, on our list there in the last 30 days so iHeart uh, yeah, well, iHeart's there uh, but 41% is classified as others, so there's a, a whole bunch of different uh, platforms you can find uh, our audio podcast on. Uh, we also want to shout out to the fact that uh, our second highest uh, group of listeners are 18 to 22-year-olds. So, again, uh, kind of surprising when you delve down into these things, but uh, 
Uh, we're glad we can entertain the younger set as well as the uh, older set like us. So uh, welcome to one, welcome all. We should be a hit with like 12 because like 12 year old, because that, you know, that, that, that's, sure that's our, that. Yeah, exactly. That's our humor level. So maybe that's why it is that we uh, appeal to that set. Uh, video wise, uh, of course, you're watching on Facebook. This show will be archived on Facebook Live. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube. We have a channel there and Twitch. Uh, all three platforms carry our video version of the show. So again, we want to uh, wish our co-host Todd a uh, speedy recovery from his ailments there with his, his eyes. ocular distress. That's going to have to go in the isms. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yes, uh, Todd was unable to participate in episode 65 because of ocular distress. That, that will be the, the sentence in our, uh, in our uh, isms there. So, uh, for the good of the order, uh, please join us next week. Uh, we'll have episode 66, and uh, hopefully uh, you again catch the audio version of the show here later in the week. Uh, Brady, want to take us out there? for uh, In honor of our ocularly distressed co-host, Todd Griffin, peace. Thanks for listening to the Play It By Ear podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter at Play It By Ear Pod 2, and our website at anchor.fm backslash Play It By Ear podcast. Thanks again, and join us next time as we play it by ear.